Well, good evening all again. Hey, if, uh, you know, I'm going to do something that we uh, normally don't do. Um, it's a 6 p.m. service, it's Valentine's. And I, I, I've been in your shoes many, many times. And I hate it when pastors do this, but I'm going to do it tonight. Uh, can we move in closer tonight? I know uh, some of us like to sit in the shadows, but I, I just think that it'd be so important for us, especially on this topic, on this evening as we gather and worship. And if you choose not to, uh, there's no shame in that, uh, no guilt in that. I absolutely do mean that. Uh, some people just need the space. And I always want you, and we as a staff always want you to have that space. Uh, there's nothing more righteous about being up front, but uh, for those that are able, just uh, would love for you to come on up as we gather, uh, as we hear this word. So if you have those Bibles, some of you brought them, some of you have them on a mobile device, some of you, uh, you'll see that red book in the Bible, red book in the pews in front of you, that's our pew Bible. You can grab those out. We're going to turn to page 885. There we go. I just need to see faces. Uh, and it helps me because I am not uh, kind of in isolation teaching this, but we as a community are desiring, we're longing for what God would have for us on this Sunday evening. And as we get to page 885, in a moment I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1. I'm going to read it all the way through verse, uh, through verse 12, I think is what we have. And before I read this section, let me just say, I'm so glad you're here because we're starting a brand new series and as we head towards Easter, we're really in a series exploring what the church is. And there's many misconceptions of church. There's misconceptions based on things that are not true. And sadly, there's misconceptions based upon things that, that are true, ways in which we've gotten off course. And so it's my desire, and as a staff, what we long for is that we would go right to Scripture, that we would be reminded of who we really are, what we're about. Because it's easy to think of the church as just an hour on Sunday, a, a location, a building. We talk about going to church as if it's just a place. We talk about being late to church as if it's a time. Uh, we talk about a variety of things that in many ways um, really don't help us get at the core of who we are. And so in each of these weeks, you'll even notice up on the screen, uh, after a while it'll go to it, uh, where it says the church is and there's going to be a blank. There's a lot of words that we can fill in that sentence. The church is this. The church is that. Well, we want to go beyond just Sundays and steeples and sermons. We want to take a look at what Scripture says. So we're going to go through a journey through Ephesians, but tonight we're going to start in the book of Acts because we're going to see that the church isn't something that's manufactured by human hands. It's not something that's built with our own ideas or our own strength, but rather the church is born. It always begins with the supernatural work of God. It always starts with God. It doesn't start with us. And so we're going to see very clearly a passage here that in many ways just orients us to that truth. So let me read this. This is Acts chapter 2 verses 1 all the way through verse 12. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each, amazed and astonished, 
they asked. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. So we have here a very amazing, awe-inspiring passage. And we're, we're going to see many things tonight, but I want us to key in on three things in particular. What was born that day? We're, we're talking about this idea that the church is born. And, and spoiler alert, as we go through this series, we are the church. We are the church defined by the reality of who Jesus is. So we, as we gather as part of the church, and as we scatter as part of the church, it's more than just a building, more than an hour on Sunday, more than a place. We are the church. And we see this amazing thing that happens on the day of Pentecost. Now, what's Pentecost? Well, the word Pentecost uh, literally comes from your, like, pent, pentagram. We get this idea of five, five-sided. So, the Feast of Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Now, this is an actual moment, actually on the calendar, 50 days after the Passover meal. Later on in the service, and I'll move this aside so you can have eyes on it while we were gathered. Jesus, the night before He went to the cross, was celebrating the Passover meal with His disciples. So that was 50 days after that moment that this festival that had happened year after year after year after year had happened. So where did, where did this idea of Pentecost come from? Well, you see the first Passover, and this is a whole other sermon, a whole other series when you think about it, but when you look at the book of Exodus, we see God do this amazing, miraculous feat where God rescues the nation of Israel under the leadership of Moses from out under Pharaoh's rule. They've been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And on this one night, the angel of the Lord passes over all of the homes that had on their doorposts marked with a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. And so God was passing judgment over all of Egypt, and yet God's judgment passed over those that put their faith and trust in God. That's when Passover began. And so as they left Egypt, remember the crossing of the Red Sea, that great miraculous feat, and as they wander now out in the desert, they get to Mount Sinai. And if you remember this story, maybe some of you know it, some of you don't, maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, maybe you saw Prince of Egypt that, uh, that, that uh, I don't think it was a Disney film, it was a... It was a cartoon that came out. And if you know that story, there was this moment in Mount Sinai where God literally gives His people the Ten Commandments. But if you remember the part of the story, Moses comes down off the mountain. They had been worshiping this golden calf, and they called this golden calf the name of the Lord, that they had been disoriented to who God really was. They thought this thing had rescued them. And Moses breaks those commandments. And as the days go by, they get to this moment that actually is 50 days after that original feat, that original miracle, when the angel Lord passed over those homes. 50 days after that, we see something amazing happen in Exodus chapter 33. 
This will help us give context to what's going on. Open those Bibles back up. I saw some of you put them away. We're going to go back in time even further to Exodus 33. And just to set the stage, just to give a little context to what this Pentecost festival and meal and day was all about. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Exodus chapter 33, page 70 in your pew Bible if you have it, there on the left side. I'm going to begin in verse 12 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, this is now 50 days after that original Passover moment. Moses said to the Lord, see, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, this is Moses speaking to the Lord, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. And let's just pause there. There is some uncertainty going on. Moses is unsure of God's presence, of God's power, and many of you, you're here tonight, and I imagine you, like Moses, are unsure of God's presence. You are unsure of God's power. You are wondering. Perhaps the reason why you're here tonight is because you're longing for something, and you're wondering if all the other areas in your life aren't providing that for you. You wonder, perhaps, is this thing that we call faith, is God, is this thing that they're going to talk about tonight, is that something that I can hold on to that's going to give me a sense of security, a sense of hope, a sense of joy, a sense of stability in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in my life? We all experience that to some degree or another. Some of us let that on more than others. Some of it hold us on much tighter. And so we can relate to Moses when he says that. And listen to what God says to Moses. I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So Moses said, listen to this, show me your glory. Show me your glory, I pray. And he said, this is God speaking to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is how God answers Moses' cry for God's presence. He says, you want to see my glory? You want to see my presence? Well, I'm going to show it to you, but you can't handle the fullness of my glory. You can't handle the fullness of my presence. He says on one hand, I'm good and I'm gracious. But at the same time, there's this sense that no one can look at God and live. And there's this amazing moment where Moses is near the presence of God, is so overwhelmed by the presence of God that it gives him strength, it gives him security. God then gives him a new set of tablets. He then goes and leads the nation of Israel and he walks away with the presence. It's totally a mountaintop experience. 
But Scripture says that as he comes down off the mountain, that actually that glory that was shining off his face began to fade. And he would go up to the mountain being God's presence. That glory would shine upon his face. He would go back down in the presence of others. But that glory would fade. There was these mountaintop experiences, but then when everyday life came, it would fade away. Well, the truth is that was the first Pentecost. But something different happened. Something was born on that day that we read about in Acts chapter 2 that radically altered Pentecost. You see, we often refer to Pentecost and we think that it began on that day, but no, 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 there had been a long, long history of Pentecost days over the years, reminded of God's presence, but only God's partial presence, God's partial glory. And on that day, on Acts chapter 2, we get this amazing picture of the fullness of God's presence poured out upon His people permanently. You see, throughout all of Scripture, God's presence would come and it would go. God's Spirit would show up and rest upon certain leaders and then it would be removed. It would come and it would go. But beginning in Acts chapter 2, leading all the way up to this moment, and all the way until Jesus comes again, whenever somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's presence floods into your life. God's Spirit permanently resides in you. And the fullness of God's glory dwells in you. And it doesn't require a mountaintop experience to be had that, that one day fades away, but rather the Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, we're much unlike Moses. You know, he had to live with his veiled face because after a while, Moses would put a veil over his face because people would be so unsure, they'd be scared of the fading glory. Apostle Paul says, but we're unlike that. We can live with unveiled faces because we're being transformed more and more in the image of Christ through the power of the Spirit. You see, something was born on that day that if we understand really what the church is, is true and can be lived out and experienced within us today. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, as I said, the fullness of the power of God dwells in you permanently. So if you've already said yes to Jesus, and maybe it didn't seem as miraculous as this Acts 2 moment, it was just as miraculous, it was just as powerful, it was just as much glorious in God's eyes, and that's still with you today. It doesn't come and go in the ups and downs of life. If you turn your back on God, He doesn't turn His back on you. If you stay away from his word or his community for a season, it's not like that spirit begins to just go away that somehow you have to get back into your life. No, the fullness and the permanence of God's spirit is poured into your life permanently for all of eternity. And as Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I'm confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the second thing I want you to know that not only did God birth in that community His permanent presence, but He gave birth to something else. It was future experienced now. You see, there's this future reality that Scripture says that one day we're going to fully be in the presence of God. We're fully going to know. We're going to be known by God. We're going to experience the fullness of all that He has for us. 
And we're going to have so much peace and so much joy. We're going to see in so many ways the fullness of who God longed for us and created us to be. And actually, Scripture says that when we receive the Holy Spirit, that much like the first church on that day, on that day of Pentecost, that the future was experienced now. In many ways, we get a taste, we get an experience of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. You see, when we say yes to Jesus, future comes now. Just show of hands, how many of you saw uh, Back to the Future? I know it was a not-too-obscure film. Okay, a lot of us saw that, right? And I, I, always, I was always fascinated with this idea of time travel. And, and, and for many, many years, you know, as science fiction writers have explored this idea of time travel. And in many ways, uh, you know, we kind of think, oh, that, that would never happen, that's impossible. But the reality of what Scripture says is this, is that we have a God who has existed for all of eternity. And this God is in relationship with God's self. We often refer to that God in a community of one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so God has always existed. So in many ways, you could say that God is in the eternal now. From God's perspective, there's no past, there's no present, there's no future. And so God contains the fullness of time in many ways. It transcends time. And so when one who transcends the fullness of time enters into our present reality, it should change everything. I remember when my dad was on unemployment. When I say my dad, this is my, my stepdad. He had been unemployed for about two and a half years. And it was so hard for me to watch him, somebody who had worked his whole adult life, never had a problem with jobs, uh, had an MBA, and with the economic downturns, as they shrunk the, the business size, he got let go. And there was many people just coming up out of college that were kind of looked at first. And I remember him driving all over Southern California going to job fairs. In his late 50s, with an MBA, traveled the world, was really sharp, and he had to kind of pound the pavement. He had to show up and wait in line in these huge groups of people. And I watched him step into that with, with, with joy, with, with, with encouragement, but, but, but I knew, though, that that was hard for him. And we prayed for him. And I remember one day, again, it was like, gosh, two and a half years until he finally got a permanent job offer. I remember when he got that job offer, and that job offer wasn't supposed to begin for another three months. So here he was. I can't remember when it was in the year. Let's just say it's February 14th. That's what it is today. Imagine you weren't starting that job until March, April, May 14th. So you knew that in the future you would have a job. And so he, in that moment, though he hadn't yet started the job, he hadn't put on his tie for the first day of work, he hadn't yet commuted the first day to that job, he hadn't yet shown up to meet his coworkers, he hadn't yet gotten the keys, gotten whatever it was that was going to be part of that job. That future came knocking at that present day on February 14th, and it changed his perspective. It meant he didn't have to go to all the job fairs. It meant he didn't have to keep sending out his resume. There was this future security that he was able to transform his perspective in the moment. And actually, Scripture says that we have an infinitely better future than just a job. It's a security that lasts for all of eternity that doesn't depend on what we've done, but depends entirely on what God has already done on our behalf. And we can actually experience that now. 
So no matter what your relationship status is on this evening, no matter what your financial status is, no matter what your health status is, there's moments in this life, I, gosh, I, I'm experiencing some of that this weekend. There's some uncertainty of things swirling around in this world, relationships that I have, friends that I have, that I would just wish, gosh, I just wish I could get through this season. I'm in the tough middle right now. I don't know how it's going to unfold. And there's this future reality that I can hold on to in the presence where God says, I have the last word. Your doctor doesn't have the last word. Your boss doesn't have the last word. That person doesn't have the last word in your life. Jesus says, I have the last word in your life. And that was born permanently on that day. But even more than that, there was a new community that was born. You see, I, I, and I probably butchered some of the, the names of the nations, but in that Acts 2 section, you heard a, a list of a lot of different nations. The last time in Scripture there was a list of that many nations was all the way back in Genesis chapter 10, which was the chapter right before the Tower of Babel. Some of you, you might know this story, and in brief, it was this. There was a group of people from all these different nations that they wanted to name, make a name for themselves, that they wanted to have all the glory that they wanted to be known for their power, for their might, for their goodness. They wanted to be lifted up on high. They wanted other people to notice them, and so they built this tower. And so God looks down and sees that they're in many ways trying to make a name for themselves rather than lifting up the name of the Lord. They were trying to glorify themselves rather than glorifying God. And so God scatters their language, Scripture says in Genesis chapter 11, divides that community and we see in Acts chapter 2 a complete reversal of that where all these different people from all these different nations are hearing one thing in their native tongue, in their own language. They understand. And what is it that they are understanding? What is it that's being said? It's the complete opposite of the Tower of Babel. Take a look here. Open those Bibles back up. I want you to see this. I want you to know that I'm not making this up. It's Acts chapter 2. A huge reversal, and it has huge implications for us today. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, the very tail end of that long list of the nations, and it says this, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. You see, the Tower of Babel was all about humans' deeds of power. And God gave birth to a community that was absolutely redefined, that transcended every cultural boundary, every language boundary. If you read on through Acts chapter 2, it, it transcends every gender boundary, every age boundary. You see, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that goes among every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord, every single person. I love how Bill Crawford, who preached this morning, said it this way. He says that there wasn't a larger outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the men over the women. It was equal. There wasn't a larger outpouring to one gender or nation or ethnic or, or anything or age. It, it was equal among everyone. And there was this complete breakdown of the walls that separate us with the ultimate purpose of lifting up and talking about the glory of the Lord, His deeds, His power. 
You see, we have an opportunity to be a church much like the first church if we see that it's God that gives birth to it, that in many ways we get to experience God's presence permanently, that the future is experienced now and that a new community is created. You see, the community that, that we should have here in the power of God's Spirit should be different than any other community in this world. It's different than any other social club. It's different than any book club. There, there's actually no reason that many of us should be in relationship with one another other than the fact that we lift up the name of Jesus higher than anything else. We lift him up higher than any political disagreement we have. We lift him higher up than any other disagreement about what is good or bad about this or that. You see, we lift him up higher than anything else, but we can't do that on our own unless God gives birth to that in our life. And as we go on this journey together over these next seven weeks, we're going to explore a lot. There's, uh, there's so much I just want to share tonight, but we're going to explore in so many ways more of what God says we are, shapes us to be. But it has to begin with this truth that, that the church is born. I know many here tonight have said yes to Jesus. And the moment you said yes to Jesus, when you acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, and there's no formulaic way to do that. It can be a single moment. It could be a season. But in that season, God looks at you and God pours out His Spirit in your life. In that moment, you are a new creation. You're adopted into God's family. Scripture says that God looks at you and says, you are my treasured possession. And all the things that He longs for you to have, He, he places in your life. And the rest of our life is an opportunity for us to allow God's Spirit to transform us, to shape us. The fancy theological word is sanctification. We'll become more and more like Jesus on this journey together. But some of you are here tonight and you're wondering, you're longing, maybe like Moses, God, are you there? Are you present? I have these things in my life. I have this anxiety. Well, let me tell you this, that God can do more for you tonight than he did for Moses. You see, he was only able to show Moses a little bit, just a little bit. He would have been overwhelmed. But take a look at this last passage that I'm going to show you tonight. John chapter 1. It's on page 862. Just to the left of 863. It doesn't say 862 on your page. But 862, John says this. Verse 14, talking about Jesus. And the word, this is another name for Jesus. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. You see, Moses was only allowed to see a part, but we are allowed to see the fullness of God's glory in Jesus Christ. And when you turn to Him, when you say yes to Him, the glory of God floods in your life as powerfully as it did in the first century church. And if you haven't experienced that yet tonight, all you have to do is be open. Say, God, would you begin something new in me? Would you birth something new in me? Would your spirit dwell in me? Would you say simply yes to him? And there's no fireworks that you can see. But you know what it says in Scripture? That when one person turns to God, that there is rejoicing in heaven among the angels. That's better than any firework display you could ever imagine. 
You can share that with somebody tonight. I said yes to Jesus for the first time tonight. We can celebrate that with you. Let's pray. God, as we continue in worship, as we in a moment will go to the table, we are reminded, I'm reminded even, that we are part of a broader community. We're part of a, a journey through Passover, through Pentecost. So we are in this Lenten season together as we head towards not only Good Friday and the cross, but Easter Sunday and the resurrection. And we gather here knowing that, Jesus, you have defeated death, that you've re redefined what it means for us to gather and to be yours. So may these things sit with us tonight. May we saturate our hearts and our minds. And may you redefine for us, God, who we are as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.